0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Chat with the Designers, your online bi-weekly program for home brewers, ham experimenters, and uh, electron enthusiasts around the fruited plains of the world. This is your host, George N2APB, and co-host, Joe N2CX. Per usual, we are here on the Chat with the Designers program, and uh, this week we have a pretty interesting program. Before we get into that, just a a quick mention before I forget, or before you have to tune out or whatever, is that uh, we are encountering the summer doldrums, uh, vacation time, and various other things. So, as I think we did last year at some point along the way, we're going to need to skip an episode. So, I'll announce this more details later on, but we're going to need to skip an episode due to outages between Joe and me. This will also be good for both of us to catch up on some of the, uh, call it the hardware, the hardware prototyping, the hardware experimentation that we need to do in preparation for these shows, and you'll see what I mean in just uh, in just a minute. So um, let's get into the program here tonight. We have a really interesting show. I think uh, Joe and I were quite excited. Uh, Rick had mentioned. Uh, Rick is not here tonight. Rick, a regular uh, with the program here usually, had pointed out a new data sheet, a new um, a new chip. Uh, and the a small evaluation board <clears throat> that was being made available, that is being made available, at pretty low cost, $26.99 from Freescale. And the board happens to be, well, there's a couple of names, but it's the intrins, extrinsic, I, uh, X-T-R-I-N-S-I-C, <clears throat> the uh, extrinsic um, sensors board, MEMS sensors board. What the heck does MEMS stand for, Joe? Uh, microelectronics, uh, something or other, right?
1: Yeah, I was trying to remember. a Microelectronic um, 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 something or other, yeah. I think a sensor is the last word. I'm not sure. Um, monolithic, I think. Microelectronic monolithic sensor? It sounds good.
0: Could be. I was working with some uh, technologies a while back in the cybersecurity area, which has been my area of, of expertise over the last uh, <laughs> couple of decades. And uh, some of the advanced topics was, was really cool. Just a quick aside, they use some MEMS devices as uh, optical filters Um, apply an electronic or apply an electrical signal to a a silicon substrate appropriately doped and um, ultimately it would impose a certain amount of diffraction of the light going through it and the amount of diffraction was controllable hence by the uh, electrically applied voltage And um, one could use it for, what was it called, wide? uh, WDM or WDFM, wide dispersion, frequency multiplication, uh, frequency multiplexing, something like that. An ability to get multiple channels across a fiber optic sensor. Outstanding technology. Really, really leading stuff. And this was maybe about... uh, maybe about eight or nine years ago. But MEMS technology has really taken off as integrated uh, types of capabilities get easier and easier and lower cost and reach the uh, experimental market, such as it has here for the, uh, I guess it's Element 14. If you check out the whiteboard, and hopefully everybody's had a uh, chance to see the whiteboard. Oh, there you go, Ray, thank, or, uh, or Joe did. Thank you, Joe. Microelectrical, microelectromechanical systems. Not sure exactly how it applies here, except that maybe some parameters, such as magnetism and accelerometry, are being uh, uh, controlled or measured. But uh, this company called Element 14 has been able to produce uh, this uh, sensor board, which ostensibly has use in some other uh, higher-end type of application and such that we don't have privy to, and uh, uh but it has reached the electronics uh, hobbyists and experimenters market via um freescale and uh, this small, and if you can see the picture there on the on the board, it is a small device, a small board. It's a small, and I would estimate if I could probably find the dimensions someplace on here, but it's probably on the order of a half an inch by uh, three quarters of an inch is the actual <clears throat> sensor board itself, and it sits on a, a slightly larger carrier board that serves as a an evaluation kit. And all of that is on the order of, as I said, $27 plus shipping. And it's really quite a deal for what uh, what it offers. Again, thank you to Rick for bringing it to our attention. And uh, we thought it was worthy enough to kind of chat about here on Chat with the Designers or uh, to explore the data sheet. And that's really the goal for tonight's session is to explore the data sheet. It's got one, two, three, four, at least four, three or four major functions that uh, among the collective uh, brain power that we have here in this forum we could probably find some pretty nifty applications of these things and we're going to explore those different native built-in capabilities as well as that of the evaluation board oftentimes companies when they bring out new technologies new chips new capabilities offer a low cost easy to program way to use the uh, to use their technology in this case here that there's a little daughter board which is the actual sensor board <clears throat> and the uh, the motherboard in which it fits contains a couple of USB ports and allows for com- connection to your computer for programming purposes whether it's JTAG or some type of an IDE integrated development environment these vendors provide you and me and Joe and everybody else here the ability to kind of easily, um, <clears throat> at, at, at first, the very first step is to program in some sample code that they normally provide for these uh, these evaluation boards. And, and that's what we'll be doing. Joe and I have ordered these uh, evaluation boards, as have a number of us. I've had some side channel conversations with Rick and some others, and they've ordered these boards. and anticipating that even if we didn't talk about it here on chat with the designers, we'd have a bit of an opportunity to, uh, they would have an opportunity to to experiment with it and do some playing around. And I think there's some very fertile ground for it. And as the nature of our, this forum exists, is to explore, uh, let's see, how does it go? To explore brave new worlds, to boldly go where no home brewer has gone before. And uh, essentially, that's in the area here where we have, uh, Uh, precise altitude and pressure sensors low-power digital three-dimensional magnetic sensors three-axis accelerometer how on earth could any home brewer worth his salt avoid this presentation here and this particular evaluation board. I'll tell you, this is really going to be experimenter heaven, and especially when you look at the case when they have software, canned software, and all you have to do is download it to this board, and by golly, you'll have this thing working and demonstrating its capabilities. I saw one, Joe, uh, Joe, I saw one application as I was skimming through the data sheets and whatnot, and then we'll get into it here in a moment, but uh, just for example... This, this board can be placed on top of uh, supposing you leave an iPad at the airport you know you're on a little table next to your next to your seat or something and you leave it and you walk away well if you were to place this board with the appropriate software load on it just on top of the, uh, the iPad and, and then walk away from it and have it signal, it, 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 can, it can signal you when that board is triggered via its accelerometers. It's uh, essentially like a tilt sensor. You see this sometimes or oftentimes these days on the smartphones and the iPads when you tilt them or orient them one way or another according to the Earth's magnetic uh, fields. Of course, it changes the, the orientation of the display from portrait to landscape or whatever. And this sensor, if it were just sitting on there, would be able to detect when somebody picked up the iPad or even very barely touched the, uh, the device to move it to the side if they had some inkling of what it was. And, of course, you could program some pretty cool, you know, whoop, 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 whoop type of alarm or, uh, you know, have a candid camera off to the side and, you know, really kind of surprise the pants off of somebody that was looking to make off with your iPad. So there's kind of a cute example of how this $26 board can really, uh, serve uh, serve your purpose. And, and Joe and I, and hopefully others here, are going to give a chance to kind of extrapolate, to uh, extend the concepts and figure out where else we could use this in the ham radio world, in the homebrewing world, and uh, figure out uh, how it could be used just as an example. Just to seed your thoughts here. Supposing that you put this little sensor on the inside of your little cover on your mailbox out in the, on the street, you know, a little thing that you pull down in order to get the mail out and you flip it back up supposing that gave a little bit of an RF signal heck maybe it's using an XB controller that we were talking about in previous uh, in previous weeks. So you have this thing coupled to an XB such that it sig- uh, sends a signal whenever your mailbox has been opened and uh, just because of its uh, tilt and accelerometer capabilities is able to do that. so little pedestrian kind of functions like that become possible and we uh, we experimenters like those kinds of things. So, um, Joe, why don't you, um, if you if you would, why don't you kind of uh, either uh, add to my overview and uh, and then kind of get into it uh, first of all and kind of like what 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 are all the different things on the board? Sure, George. Yeah,
1: yeah. This um, this is a, a great uh, time in uh, technology, having uh, the integrated sensors that appear in everything. I'll just go through a couple of the sensors that are here and, and mention some of the things about them. Basically, the the microelectronic uh, microelectromechanical things use uh, uh, integrated circuits and uh, um, the technology used for ICs to uh, to make uh, and I'll describe some of them, but to make some of the. Uh, 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 electromechanical things with great precision and small size and integrate them directly with electronics to make some um, very rugged and uh, very precise sensors. The first uh, sensor that is mentioned on the board is a high precision pressure sensor. Now a pressure sensor, something like this, um, uses a um, diaphragm on uh, on a chip and inside the chip there's uh, it's there is a beam connected to the uh, uh, to the diaphragm the beam bends uh, as the diaphragm moves in and out with air pressure and I'm not sure if this one is uh, capacitive sensing or if it actually uh, is kind of a strain gauge on the uh, uh, on the beam the small integrated beam but uh, it moves in and out with air pressure to uh, generate an electrical signal, and uh, they claim that the uh, resolution is uh, less than a uh, foot, uh, which which means a foot of uh, air pressure. Uh, normal air pressure at the sea level is something like uh, 32.4 feet of um, or inches of mercury, and um, so many feet of water. I think it's 30 some feet of water. So that's a pretty good resolution. Um, and if you think of this as an altimeter, uh, that'd be great. This is uh, something you put on a robot or or, um, almost anything that would move up and down and be able to sense it. Um, It uses, uh, it has, um, it's it's internally compensated in direct reading. So uh, it is inherently self-calibrated, which is really cool because calibrating these darn things uh, could be a real pain. If you um, if you listen to pilots when they take off from an airport, the the um, air controller gives them the altitude of the uh, uh, airport they're taking off from, so that they can calibrate their instruments and uh, know their height above sea level. Well, this thing apparently has uh, enough calibration built in, so that that's inherent there. Um, and it's a um, it's a 12 20 bit sensor. 20 bits is, uh, I haven't run through the numbers, but it's better than one part in a million uh, a resolution, which is extremely good. And it also includes a 12-bit uh, temperature measurement on board, too. So it's got, um, got two really neat sensors on it to, uh, to give you altitude and uh, temperature. Think of a million reasons for something like this. The next, uh, the next sensor on there is a digital hey, free George. access.
0: Uh, go ahead, George. Oh I just want to kind of as we as we encounter these uh the sensors, maybe we could just chat about them a little bit because I think looking through the data sheet in fact one of many that sometimes there's so much information here it's just try, kind of kind of hard to figure out um which is uh which is the most relevant or the uh the one that you should be using, they have a uh, they have a demonstration package or demonstration software as I had mentioned to it, and I had not realized that that you had mentioned the temperature and uh the, and indeed this demonstration program actually goes through and I guess is over time. It sends the temperature, or at least the, the software on the PC that's sampling the board, um, takes the altitude and set temperature uh, data and then displays it on a new line. So all you're seeing, it's in figure five of, heck, one of the, one of the data sheets I'm looking at, and uh, it displays the altitude and the temperature on successive lines uh, that are all preceded by MPL3115, which is probably the name of that particular sensor and uh that's that's just a way that you can get that data. And I would imagine that well there is a microcontroller on there, and uh, we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. But there's a way that we could probably take that data, don't you think, and put it onto some kind of a, a non-volatile storage device, whether it's an SD card or some kind of e squared uh, uh, RAM that is going to that can be retrieved after it comes down from a balloon ride or something.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that would be uh, data collection software, and that would be uh, an excellent application for something like that. Um, Very interesting. And uh, (laughs) another interesting thing would be, um, I forget the exact numbers, but something like uh, uh, temperature uh, varies nominally, something like 10 degrees C per thousand feet, I believe it is. So if you had a balloon, you could uh, track you you could experimentally track the uh, change in temperature with altitude and uh, plot a curve and um, uh, do your own experiment on on, uh, uh, seeing how close that was.
0: Now, nah, verify. verify somebody. I don't know, Bernoulli or somebody. I don't know who would have been the uh, discoverer of that particular thing, but that would be interesting to, to kind of explore. Um, or how about this? Is, is uh, If you've ever seen those uh, YouTube videos where there's a guy that climbs up this huge tower, and then he gives some pretty uh, gut-wrenching views looking down from the tower and out across the horizon, and you imagine taking one of these devices up there as you climb through successive uh, strata.
1: <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. Load this guy up with all the electronics so he can monitor what he's doing. Of course, she'd also wanted to measure his uh, his heart rate as he was doing it to see what kind of fear factor was involved.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I was just as an aside. This is kind of an informal program today, folks, and I hope you're going to enjoy it because we're we're uh, we've been doing a lot of kind of exploring of technologies and such. There's this nifty uh, oh gosh, it's called Up U P. And you some of you guys might be already on top of this and I'm not uh, you know but I, I just kind of encounter my boss has one of these things and he's touting it and it looks really cool I mean it's a little wrist uh, sensor connects to your smartphone by means of Bluetooth or some such it monitors your heart rate your well your pulse rate uh, your resting time your motion time it reminds you through vibration that you got to get up and move it measures your sleep modes and it plots it along some kind of pretty Cool software to tell when you're in REM sleep and a built-in alarm clock and, and whatever. How about this for a nifty device here? If you take this uh this altitude sense, pressure sensing altitude sensor, if you mounted it on the front of a vehicle and you started Going at uh, slow speed, and you ramp it up to higher speed, and, and of course you're reading the pressure sensor. How do you think the, the the pressure sensing reading would go, Joe, as you ramp up linearly in speed? How would the pressure be indicated, perhaps, on the sensor there? Is it going to be detected because of the essentially the force of the uh, of the air upon the sensing device?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that that would do much, uh, really. I I don't know. I don't know. It'd be an interesting experiment to try though.
0: All right. Well, inquiring minds want to know how to do these things here in chat with the designers. So I just thought I'd kind of post that. And uh, if anybody has a, uh, would you want a uh, Frank, Frank put some text in here, something about, would you want a uh, pitot tube for that? Is that some kind of a, uh, what kind of uh, an aid is that, Frank? Well, Frank probably doesn't have audio tonight, so we'll find out a little bit later. Joe Joe. Joe affirmed.
1: It's, a, it's a, a tube on an aircraft that um, uh, sticks out the side of an aircraft, and the wind blowing by it or the air blowing by it um, causes a decrease in pressure uh, that is um, relative to the airspeed. So it's an airspeed indicator.
0: Oh, okay. Good. Th- that makes sense. And I, I thought it was some kind of a human reproduction aid or accessory or something, but who knows. Uh, now that you say that, I, I kind of figured that that might be the case. And that would probably be the way, uh, if you were to use a pitot tube, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, you could couple that to the device here and get some kind of a relationship between the speed of the vehicle and, uh, and against the air that's moving along with it. And maybe the same, too, with motion, air uh, air motion, such as in a tornado or a hurricane yeah, you know, oh, no. I
1: think the I think the uh, accelerometer might be of more use there, to, and uh, to really uh, crank up the fear factor.
0: Indeed, you know, you remember there was a program on TV called uh, oh, I don't know, it was with Jody Jody Foster, and she was a tornado hunter or something like that. And uh, they sent these little these little ping-pong balls that were instrumented with uh, probably altitude and maybe even GPS devices. This would be such a device to keep in mind. Next time that you might, if you're in such a location in the U.S., for sure, in the Midwest maybe, and to have, uh, have the unfortunate encounter with a tornado, you might want to get a couple of these things and kind of toss them up in the air at the appropriate time and come up with your own uh, relationship <clears throat> and being able to perhaps measure the F factor, the... Um, um, the intensity factor of the tornado, and you might be able to get published if you if you live through the event.
1: Yeah, well, some of the uh, tornado chasers don't make it too well. There was uh, just recently one of them who had uh, uh, monitoring gadgets that he would throw out in the path of uh, tornadoes, and one of the um, one of the tornadoes caught up with him, and he didn't make it.
0: Ooh, bad news. Bad news. All right, Joe, why don't, uh, I don't know which one you're going to do next, but something that's really interesting to me is uh, the magnetic sensor, magnetic orientation sensor, whatever, three, maybe that's part of the accelerometer. Can you tell us stories about that?
1: Oh, could I tell stories? Yeah. Um, if you remember back when we were, um, we being uh, Jersey QRP, we were doing some experimenting with the um, um, basic, not the basic stamp, after the basic stamp, the uh, parallax chips. Um, one of our members who's now a silent key um... And his name escapes me. I'm sure you remember George. Um, he was uh, working with some um, Hall effect devices, which um, were um, uh, magnetic field sensors and uh, he actually made one that uh, along with a basic stamp that uh, made a digital uh, compass because it knew north from south well the uh, the basis of the Hall effect sensor is that um, there there are semiconductor devices you can make whose um, uh, I guess it's i'm not certain if they if they generate if they change resistance with um conductivity with um applied magnetic field or or if there's uh, some sort of current generated but at any rate there is a um uh, there's an electrical analog to applied magnetic fields and um if you and they, they are directional. They know north from south. To put three of these things in the, the three axes in one package, which the digital three axis magnetometer does, you could read um I, you could read magnetic fields in 3D and to know, know in which direction the um, the magne- magnetic fields were oriented. Of course, on the surface of the Earth, we look for north and south. But uh, indeed, in general, you could look in three directions, and uh, this would be kind of cool to uh, to do that. Not sure the application, but um, I'm sure in some sort of industrial applications where you're working with uh, electro. Uh, with ma- with uh, magnetic devices, there'd be a uh, a good reason to uh, to look at a 3D magnetic field. And as George mentioned earlier, if you're doing things like experiments with high-altitude balloons, you could see how the um, uh, 3D magnetic fields varied above the Earth um, as you go over. Uh, areas of, uh, uh, that contain magnetic minerals, the uh, uh, magnetic fields will change. You can actually plot that, something like that, with a balloon uh, having uh, location information and this 3D magnetometer to get some idea of a picture of a 3D magnetic field. Um, so from that, I can't think of a good application, but uh, it should sure be fun to play with.
0: Well, wouldn't a compass, just a plain old compass that you would uh, see in your automo- uh, automobile uh, navigation system or or anything like that, wouldn't that be kind of um, a simplistic application of this?
1: Oh, indeed, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that's why I say I'm trying to think of a, uh, a a use for a 3D magnetic sensor. I'm sure there is one, but uh, for most of us here on the, uh, the skin of the earth doing ordinary things, uh, compass bearings are the, are the most important thing.
0: Now, what would you see if you if you had such an instrumented uh, device, and you took it to the North Pole, where ostensibly all of the magnetic uh, half of the magnetic fields are converging to one point, and you really would have a three dimensional mapping of magnetic fields there, most concentrated. And if you were to kind of and somehow map that through three dimensional space. Would you actually be able to see, uh, to plot, if you will, the uh, the Earth's uh, magnetic field curvatures and such real readily right there?
1: More than likely you could, yeah. Actually, the... uh the um, North Pole is a geographic feature. The magnetic North Pole is somewhat south of that uh, in Canada, and it moves a little bit every year. But, uh, yeah, yeah, if you um, if flew a small plane or something and logged your position and the um, and logged the magnetic fields at the same time, you could get a good idea of exactly where it was um, as you were going to it and then away from it, seeing, um, seeing what uh, indicated compass bearings would be in relation to uh, where you knew you really was. Um, Probably using something like GPS for uh, position sensing.
0: Pretty cool. I note on the data sheet that it's, uh, well, first of all, it's got a high square By the way, folks, this is really, uh, these devices we're talking about are pretty cool. They're little chips, little surface-mount chips. Some of them are, like, you know, almost impossible for a home brewer to mount to a board himself because it's got the contacts on the bottom of the, of the chip, and there's no exposure of the contacts along the side. So there's no way to kind of heat the pad and get it by... Uh, um uh to to melt the solder in the bottom of the of the component. You would it kinda like the equivalent of a small ball grid array. I don't even know the name of that kind of a package. I'm encountering it by the way too, is JJ here. Yes he is. So we've been playing around with some GPS type of stuff, and we've encountered a couple of chips that are like almost impossible to for homebrewer to build, sort of like for the reason I'm saying. One would either have to heat the bottom of the circuit board or the whole assembly like through wave solder, such that the uh, the pads with the pre-applied solder would be able to uh, melt and adhere to the device, or vice versa, or to locally heat from the bottom the device, such that you the heat applied from the bottom of the circuit board would melt the solder on the pads, and the and the device sitting on top would kind of settle and then um, adhere once it cools. Once the solder cools, uh, it would adhere to the pads. So that's the nature of some of the. Uh, uh, at least one, at least one of the chips here. I'm not sure which one. So it's kind of an interesting aside. It's not, it's nice that they make a board for this purpose, then, with containing these things. It's it's quite useful. Um, the uh, magnetic sensor, at least, is I squared C control, which means, of course, it's a serial serial control from the microcontroller on the board. More about that a little bit later. And uh, on the evaluation board, such that whatever the microcontroller sends over the I squared C bus, which is just a two wire Plus ground um, set of wires to it, the uh, the chip is able to be uh, uh, red, and maybe too, there is some kind of control if there's any kind of modes that can it can be set to it. And uh, the data the output data rate is eighty hertz, so eighty times a second, I'm assuming it's for not just on a bit rate but the overall data rate is for 80 times per second. Um, you would be able to get readings of the magnetic, uh, no, the magnetic readings from the from the device. So, if you were and, and you could work this out using Joe's example, if you were flying along in a small plane. Question for the students here would be how fast could the plane? How 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 slow does the plane need to be moving, uh, traveling through air in order to? Um, to have the to, ma- to maximize the data rate coming from the chip, so that's kind of an interesting uh, interesting thought process, Joe.
1: Yeah, it is indeed. <laughs> yeah, you get all t- all tied up in uh, <laughs> in the practicality. 80 hertz sounds uh, fairly slow for something like this. I'm not sure not sure what the resolution of the magnetic sensor is, but uh, 10 you gauss, know, 10 gauss. Yeah. Okay. Um, me- capable of measuring local magnetic fields up to 10 gauss. But I'm not sure what the resolution is past that. Uh, don't know.
0: Yeah. And, uh, well, it's these kinds of things. I mean, this is uh, what we call systems design. Um, oftentimes, we look at chips and we see what we can do and how fast the data can come out and kind of like what it can do for you in your design. The designer needs to look at these things at a system level, and I'm I'm being grossly simplified here, or simply gross. And ultimately, we have a way. You need to take all the different system factors into consideration, such as what we're talking about here. Supposing that you, your design wanted to determine the magnetic field, to map the magnetic um, flux of uh, uh, in and around the North Pole by means of a Piper Cub, you know, flying around in a in a small plane. Things that you need to take into consideration are, are obviously how fast the, the airplane is going, as we alluded, but also down to the chip level as far as like how fast can the data come out. And then ultimately you would want to specify that the um, the overall measurement system, which involves the speed of the plane, does not exceed the data rate of the chips that are being used for the measurement. So a lot of things like this come into play from all sorts of dimensions. Joe, oftentimes we as we're working up our little projects here and there, whether it was for Atlanticon, or the NJQRP, the AMQRP, or what have you, we would need to take into consideration all sorts of different uh, factors, whether it was the voltage, noise on the voltage uh, supply, um, you know, the the batteries, uh, the kinds of fluctuations that you would see in the supply, uh, the kinds of electrical noise that would be, that the board or the project would be um, subjected to, how that board would react to extraneous noise, all sorts of different things that superficially as you're reading through a QST article or circuit seller magazine, or as uh, JJ, Joe and I have become very enamored with, uh, even more so in recent, uh, months and years is elector magazine. Elector magazine is an outstanding publication for the kinds of things that we're interested in here. And, uh, but these projects oftentimes are very focused on you know the, the capabilities of the board when you put it together into a working system you want to think about how all those other factors can work for example in my little uh, in my little uh, usage example of putting one of these accelerometer boards inside the the cover of my mailbox out in the front uh, on the on the front uh, street. Um, things like temperature come into play. I'm in Maryland, and temperature. I mean, elsewhere, especially down in the Southwest U.S., really, really getting warm these days. Suppose you were down there in the, in the Southwest, and uh, gosh, temperatures yesterday were in the 120s, and a heat wave. So you got 120 in a closed environment. So probably it's sort of like a little lovin' to begin with. So it's probably even warmer inside that uh, inside that uh, mailbox. Is your design going to uh, survive? Is the glue or maybe the epoxy or the RTV or whatever that you have holding one device to another, perhaps, is that going to stay intact in that kind of temperature? Here in the, mid, in the mid-Atlantic, we get snow sometimes during the, uh, well, oftentimes during the winter not a great deal but enough to cause freezing is the uh, glue and or temperature specifications of the device that you're dealing with here going to survive that temperature extreme so there's all sorts of things that you as a system designer and that's really what you are if you're designing a little part little project, even if it's a radio part. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit later on this afternoon. I didn't mention um, the other part of the, gosh, uh, it's coming up soon, but the later part of the program here. We're going to overview the PSOC project, P-S-O-C, the PSOC project. And uh, there are many factors that come into play when considering building one of a, a little radio type of project. The same kind of things, temperature, pressure, uh, you know, forces, um, packaging, voltage uh, extremes for the supply, um, radio interference. All of these things have an effect on performance, on uh, signal-to-noise ratio, and uh, just about anything that we're, you know, that you normally design a project to do well on. And hence, the system design is often something that comes into play. Joe, you had many years of system design experience. You, over your career, at least part of you know the the, uh, the things that you've been doing in those years have been uh, acting as a systems design, a systems engineer for uh, considering all the different big factors like this.
1: Yeah, <laughs> more years than I care to think about. It. Yes, yeah, uh, it's a big. Uh... It's a big topic when you try to do everything. And um, fortunately or unfortunately, it was all in the um, military aerospace uh, uh, domain. So there are a lot more things you have to take into account. Just just as an aside, one thing we wouldn't normally think of, um, I worked, um, the company I worked for, uh, RCA, et cetera, uh, as it evolved to other companies, we had a thing called a... Uh, um, REMBAS, the Remotely Emplaced Battlefield Sensor System, which was a gadget that had magnetometers and um, uh, geophones on it to sense movement of vehicles and um, people walking. Well, we had various specs here in the U.S. To, uh, uh, that it had to undergo. We looked at um, uh, making a model for the um, Australians. And um, as a systems engineer, I had to look over their, their specs. And one of their specs really popped out, something that doesn't happen much here in the States. I mean, here in the States, you put the dang thing in the ground, you buried a, a couple of feet, and it's fine. But in Australia, in the outback, they have a lot of wildfires with brush fires. So instead of maybe going up to 120 or 130 degrees or even 150 degrees... Some of their temperatures in the ground when they have wildfires exceed 200 degrees. And when you get to that point and you have an electronics assembly, it's really difficult to protect that. Uh, for short term, you can do it with insulation, but if it's got to uh, stand um, six or eight hours of that, um, it, it really, uh, really gets to be difficult to uh, to design. And that's the sort of thing you run into with systems designs. You have to um, you have to read carefully, look at the application, and see what the uh, the critical factors are. And sometimes uh, you just got to say, I can't do that.
0: Oh, that's so true. I can't tell you. I mean, even with the various project experience that uh, I've had over the years at at work and and certainly here at home with uh, the ham radio hobby, um, I've, I'm I'm always, I'm usually, I'm ashamed to shay, say it, but I'm usually tripped up in the prototype versions. I mean, I have this um, scathingly brilliant idea for a project and I whip it up and on paper it looks great, but those extra factors, the system factors, as you were describing, Joe, often trip me up and I got to go back to the drawing board or <laughs> or we have to go back to the drawing board for my designer and uh, accommodate for things of that nature the uh, uh, the, the voltage problems, the interference problems, the filtering problems, the temperature problems, the mounting problems—I mean, you name it—but that's that's part of the game, and and that's something that we as as experimenters don't often encounter because we don't often take an experimental project to market. But if you ever were so inclined, that that's that's kind of something you want to take into effect, of course. Um, Joe, do you want let, to let's touch lastly on the uh, the accelerometer and the last major feature of that, Then I'll and I'll wrap with just a few comments about the development uh, system, a uh, little development eval board that it sits on.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, I, that uh, that three-axis acceler- uh, low-g accelerometer is really cool. That indeed is another another uh, micro uh, MEMS device that has beams in there, and any any physical object has mass. And as you, as you move it, um, the acceleration, the uh, rate of change of uh, speed with respect to time, um, bends little beams. And they have a three-axis accelerometer, which means they have three different beams in there and three different axes that um, produce an electrical output depending on the, uh, the acceler- acceleration in the particular plane, X, Y, and Z plane, um, so that you can, you can see movement in 3D space. One of the early uh, consumer applications of an accelerometer, and that was just a single-axis accelerometer, was the Wii, the um, video game, that had a sensor that you wave around, and just the fact of you moving it around... meant that uh, it uh, it had an accelerometer in there so that it could sense your your movement uh, to affect what was happening on a, a video screen in the game. Uh, these days, they're also um, they're actually um, air mice. They're mice that have 3D accelerometers in there so that you can wave a mouse around uh, instead of having a mouse, computer mouse on a table. And um, uh, apparently some folks think that's a neat thing to do. And there are other uses for um, 3D accelerometers. Something like this for sensing for a, um, a vehicle or for um, uh, asset tracking is an interesting thing that's mentioned in the applications. You know, you can tell when something's on a truck, if it's moving, uh, if it's moving in one direction, if it's uh, going around a curve, whatever, you get some idea of, of. Um, the uh, environment, the th- things, uh, the, whatever device you have, the environment it's being subjected to. So that's really, really cool. And in something like, uh, as George mentioned earlier, a balloon, high altitude balloon. Um, in addition to the uh, GPS, you can get much finer resolution on the uh, amount of movement, the speed, and acceleration of the thing with a uh, 3D accelerometer. Really cool. Really, really something neat. The other feature we've not mentioned in this uh, platform is that there's also a capacitive touch slider which is yet another lagniappe they've stuck in there. Uh, another neat device that uh, could be uh, used in conjunction with these sensors to uh, control uh, what this uh what this application board is doing. A lot of neat things in a little package for very little uh money. Uh something something fun to play with. I'm going I'm looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, me too. Yeah, and you're right as far as that slider is control uh, concerned. Um, we had, we had, you and I had attended some um, Avnet uh, design um, seminar or something that had a board that had. I
1: think a, it was a PSoC.
0: You, I think you're right. Oh man! Oh, got file that away. Okay, good. And um, the, these little slider controls are, are really interesting by capacitive touch, and uh, able uh, the microcontroller on that uh, the baseboard that eval board that carries the sensor board is able to use uh, that uh, changing capacitance in a grid to determine position of the finger linearly, um, well at least linearly across that uh, the swipe area. Thus, you can have a pretty easy control for increasing volume of a radio of uh um changing changing anything any kind of volume to position to frequency to whatever but uh I wanted to mention that uh, kind of an interesting an interesting application, two interesting applications of accelerometers and tilt sensors and so on. And again, depending on the rate, the data rate, I, I can look at this as I'm speaking perhaps, but to find the data rate, it, um, I, for many years a while back, I was interested in model airplane, RC airplane um a hobby, and uh, wouldn't it be kind of cool to put one of these devices into a, um, you know, an airplane, build it into a fuselage or something, to uh, such that you can get a feedback, either stored data or real time data coming over an RF link of the uh, the overall. I guess it would be pitch and yaw of the aircraft as it's flying through space that you're you're controlling, and then see that data come and have it be plotted on uh, on a chart uh, after the fact or during during the uh, event. That'd be kind of an interesting. You thing. could
1: use the altimeter too to make a DIY drone with an autopilot.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. You have to keep those secret. Though, those those plans secret though. I think. Uh, well, and uh, um, I was thinking of a more, uh, maybe more of an applicable, maybe not practical. If you were to place one of these devices on the, uh, you know, one of the elements of a of a tri-band beam, for example, up at whatever height um, and measure during certain wind um, wind speeds, measure the wiggle factor, whatever the professional technical term would be for the wiggle factor of the uh of the motion of the elements during uh, uh, when experiencing wind load. It might be kind of interesting to evaluate uh, that kind of antenna, you know, here in our ham radio hobby of um, that's, that's something I haven't really seen before, nor will I probably ever use, but it would be interesting to, uh, to measure that, Joe.
1: <laughs> well, you know the old saying, if it doesn't fall down in the winter, you didn't build it big enough.
0: Yeah, JJ, did you have something? I saw your I light. Totally come on. light come on oh yeah uh, hi guys the
2: yeah i the um, the largest uh, volume application for accelerometers mems accelerometers is what they use in airbag uh to release the gas in an airbag based upon an accident and uh, I was told um, when I was up at um, Analog Devices Inc. up in Massachusetts they told me that they produce about a half a million a week of the MEMS just for this market, for the airbag sensor market.
0: That is amazing. That's amazing. I, I guess you're right had, you, had I just thought about it. You're absolutely right and the volume is just astounding. Half a million a week. I mean consider if even if it's just used for vehicles that's Maybe an indication of all the different me- vehicle manufacturers that uh, I uh, from, uh, at least pull from Analog Devices and, and their their fab facility. Amazing, amazing.
2: You know, it's even more interesting too. Is is uh, and you're right. Analog Devices produce the for almost all the manufacturers, auto manufacturers. But in the and the secret sauce is in the algorithm when you make a decision to fire the CO2. Uh, cartridge and not because you can't have it fire it based on a um, a pothole in the road. So there's a careful profile it has Enjoy to follow. Channel.
0: That is amazing. I would have uh, I, I would uh, imagine so. And thankfully, it's never gone off. Uh, I've never had a false positive type of event in my vehicle. Knock on uh, knock on vinyl, and uh, we'll hopefully it'll be that way going forward. The uh, um, the evaluation board upon which the sensor sits is apparently, and I can't find a lot of data on it just yet. Anyways, I'm sure it's there, but it's, uh, ostensibly a pretty powerful, um, kind of believe it's an arm. Joe, did, do, did, he, um, did the, uh, did arm pop out at you there?
1: Yeah, it does say somewhere that it's an arm.
0: Okay. 32-bit so arm.
1: 32-bit arm, arm Cortex-M0, uh, whatever.
0: Yeah, that's what I would have guessed and uh, a pretty powerful thing in other words and it's got apparently a lot of i.o uh, we can see usb a couple of usb connectors on the board itself and something I didn't realize until I was kind of skimming a little bit more is that the uh, this board's form factor and the connectors along the top and bottom edges are that are such that they would be able to plug into the Arduino Uno or whatever that uh, the form factor is for the Uno, the Duo, the Duo Decimal, the Dewey Decimal System, and whatever other kind of board that they have. But um, you could put a, you could stack this onto a, an, um, an Arduino board to provide a higher level of control and easier programmability and such. So it's, uh, they, they did a lot of thought in constructing this thing. Built-in bootloaders such that you can uh, use a standard serial port and driver on the PC in order to download software, the new software loads to it. As soon as I get my board in the mail, and I ordered it about a week and a half ago, I think, Still's not here yet, but they have maybe seven hundred in stock, so I'm sure that's not the case of being uh, being sold out or anything or back ordered. Um, I intend on downloading some of the sample programs in there and seeing what it can do. There is anybody else? Just kind of open up the floor here a little bit. Has anybody else uh, been uh, seen that note that Rick had given a couple of weeks ago and uh, also put in your order and looking forward to getting it, or did you get it yet? Or anybody else kind of uh, in tune with this project? I just ordered mine today. Ah, Good deal. I suspect a number of people will, too, because um, it's going to be fun. Ken, what I'm going to be doing is uh, uh, Joe and I are going to work on some projects. Uh, Maybe we can come up with a simple, useful, instructive kind of thing that would be able to help us out uh, in in our understandings and so on and and use it. Uh, Tom, AK2B, uh, what's up? I'm sorry. I thought I saw your, uh, your like them on there. Um, okay, Joe, did, are there any other comments about this project? I think we, we've sort of uh, hit all the high points at any rate and uh, didn't. Uh, I want to save a few minutes here at the end to talk about the PSAC stuff. But anything else that we wanted to cover?
1: No, I don't think there's too much uh, we have to cover. Tom did put in the uh, chat window, he put some uh, stuff about other cool things you can do and um, uh, info on uh uh, firmware for the, uh, for this device. So, um, that's good reference info uh, that we'll certainly have to dig into when we get our hot little hands on the darn things.
0: Yeah, Tom, go ahead. Hope, oh, if you're trying to, uh, to transmit. Oh, there I'm you sorry. Go. Go ahead.
2: I'm, uh, are you hearing me now? I hope you are anyway. Uh, I have both these boards. I have the Freedom board, the KL25Z, and I have one of the other boards that uses the embed, um, Operating system—I don't know—operating system. What do you call it? Compiler. Uh, it's the NXP LPC1768, uh, and I use it to control an SI570. If you look around this website that I gave you reference to, it'll give you a pretty clear uh, tutorial on how to use both of those boards. And you'll—I and, and actually find it very amazing. I mean, all the software is online. Uh, you, can do all the, uh, you can do all the work you want online. Both these boards that I use can also use terminal programs for doing debugging so that anything that, uh, if you need output for any of the programs that you can write, you can just send it to a terminal program, and there you have it.
0: Well, that's great input. Thanks an awful lot for sharing that, uh, Tom. It's uh, good to hear. And, um, you know, as, as you were speaking and you mentioned the embed platform, Tucked away here someplace, i got an embed evaluation board, and I'll bet you nickel that I've got that, uh, that very board and didn't even realize it. Yeah, that's a powerful microcontroller board all into itself, as you might think. I mean, the sensors sit into a, a connectors, um, you know, some daughterboard connectors on there. So you would think that, you know, you could put some other stuff in there. I mean, it's got A to D and D to A, general purpose input and output, that slider, control USB, I see some switches. A big old L E D on there. So there's probably a number of things that you could do. And especially if you got a a um A good IDE, Integrated Development Environment, and and know how to use it. So thanks a lot for that. Okay, what we're going to do now, uh, just in the remaining uh, few minutes at any rate, is to uh, touch on what Joe and I have in mind coming up for the next couple of episodes. And again, I think it was Rick. I mean, he's just a wealth of ideas these days. And uh, Rick pointed out uh, the PSOC. And at the bottom of the page, at the bottom of our whiteboard, you'll see the, I mean, you'll have to refresh because I haven't placed the, uh, yeah, Tom, did you have something else?
2: No, I I, I was just putting, I'm sorry, I'm I'm very new to this. It's in fact, the first time I've used this uh, TeamSpeak, so I hope I'm not messing anything up. I was just going to type in another URL.
0: Ah, okay. Yeah, there's a trick when using Teamspeak. Uh, two things to keep in mind. One is that you really should use uh, a push-to-talk key. You should configure your um, your Teamspeak uh, controls in the settings under the settings menu uh, to use push-to-talk instead of Vox. Now, I suspect you're, you're already doing that. But the kind of the trick is to select a switch, uh, a keyboard uh, key that is uncommon when you're normally typing. Um, most of us now use the right control key the right uh the, the control key on the right hand side of the keyboard which, at least for most of us, is not often used during normal typing. Uh, But if you happen to select the key that you use while typing, some people start off by using a a space bar, (laughs) thinking it's really convenient to hit when you want to talk. But as they quickly find out, uh, it's convenient also to do online email and web surfing and such during the program. But every time you hit the keyboard, uh, every time you hit the space bar on the keyboard, uh, boom, you go into transmit mode. So we hear... A lot of uh, snippets of background noise and unintended things, as they were. So, pick an unused key in that. Okay, so Joe and I had gone through, um, had taken uh, um, actually over over a year and a, over o- almost two years ago, Joe, when we last did the when we did the um, the group build for the NJQRP project, the Ensemble RX2. Was that about a couple of years ago, or a year and a half?
1: Yeah, it has been that long. Good grief, time flies.
0: Indeed, and uh, one of the intentions we, we had—we uh, bought, uh, oh gosh, maybe about twenty um, ensemble R X boards at, uh, and sold them uh, to the members who wanted to. We bought them in large, in a large uh, quantity, if you will, and uh, the local members bought them and we had a group uh, several group sessions where soldering irons and oscilloscopes and at a local lab we were able to build up those many of those boards successfully but the idea of course with a, an ensemble is to connect it to your pc any kind of a soft rock you connect it to your pc and uh, use this built-in sound card and the nice panographic on um, the display for showing the spectrum and all sorts of stuff soft rock is a very cool product in that in that regard and uh the intention was always to have like a phase two, whereby we would have a small board that would serve in place of the PC. Those of you who know Joe and me uh, and would know that uh, one of our taglines is we don't need no stinking PC when we're dealing with our radios. It's just kind of a funny thing, but uh, it's a carryover from the SDR Cube and some other things. And uh, we, like to, we like our radios uh, au naturel as long as it doesn't get too cold out. And what we can do is, uh, without the PC, it's much easier to take to the field if you don't have to have a PC and you know, worry about the display and the bright light and, and such. So um, to be able to take the soft rock output, the I and Q output, is pictured in there, the blue the blue blocks represent uh, two different kinds of soft rocks that are currently available. I didn't get a chance to put the links. I'll put the links on over to Tony uh, Perk's Um uh, what's the name? Dash 5 is the name of the site now that, that deals, that provides these uh, software uh, soft rock kits very inexpensively. It's an outstanding deal. So two popular kits that are around, at least from the receiver side, are the uh, Ensemble RX2 and the Soft Rock Lite 2. I won't go into the details of the two of those, but just suffice it to say that uh, you know the Soft Rock Ensemble is a three-band um, version. And the light version is a light version. I kind of look at the bare essentials, um, and uh, the idea is that we would take a controller, this PSoC thing, connected to these soft rocks, be able to not only control the frequency. Oops, there is a line missing on what am I on the top diagram? I got to put that in too. A line going from the PSoC over to the SI570 clock. That should be an I squared C. That's an I squared C line going over from the PSoC to the SI570. So take the PSOC, connect it to the soft rock on one side, and on the other, quite literally, have a display that shows the frequency that's being received. Have a little bit of a tune, um, uh, rotary encoder, have a volume device, a volume control device like a pot, and then a speaker such that you can hear the receiver, uh, uh, the station being received. And that doesn't need any PC. You don't need a PC with that. Because the PSAC, the programmable system on a chip, is a device that's able to perform multiple things on the same chip. It's notable because it's able to handle both a digital type of um, control logic, including DSP, digital signal processing, but also analog blocks. There are analog blocks that are in this chip and that's kind of what makes a system on a chip a system on a chip is that it's got reconfigurable um, analog and digital blocks that you can, under program control, configure to do certain things that you need to have done. Um, in this case here, for example, we have the ability to output uh, data to control the bands on the upper diagram for the, uh, the ensemble. Uh, we can select those filters on the right-hand side that connect to the antenna. And uh, we can control via digital signals, I squared C signals, the onboard SI570 clock generator going into that mixer. Out of the mixer comes um, the uh, um, the I and Q channels, the quadrature signals of baseband audio. Those I and Q channels get input to the PSOC, and the PSOC is able to amplify, A to D convert those, and then actually use the digital form to apply some digital filters in order to demodulate the signals coming in. And then ultimately um, take that, put it through another audio amplifier, kind of like a 741 op amp kind of thing. It's a little bit more sophisticated than that. But it would then output that to a speaker. And um, again, um, it's those different analog and digital components that are on a single chip. This is a single chip that's like, I don't know, Joe, what is it, five, six bucks or something?
1: Yeah, something in that ballpark. Um, Mention the package
0: Ah, yeah, the uh, the package for the PSOC, if you've looked it up at all or seen it, is a, uh, yeah, I, I don't, we're going to use the PSOC 3 from Cypress, and I'll put a link on there for that too. Um, it's something like a 48 pin PLCC, very small, aka um, hard to attach to a circuit board chip, hard to prototype with. So the intention is with this project, we're going to have a small carrier board that is going to uh, um, contain this uh, this chip. And uh, for those who want to play along with the project here on Chat with the Designers, we'll be providing this chip on the carrier board, at cost, um, for you to use in a manner to mock up like this with your soft rock or other experiments. And frankly, there's not many other parts along with the PSOC chip itself that are required. That's the beauty of it. Maybe a little bit of interface, maybe a little bit of uh, power supply, you know, voltage regulator kind of thing. Um, but, uh, a small board, I can, I, I'm envisioning probably about three quarters of an inch square board with pin headers on either side that allow it to plug into, say, a, uh, a solderless breadboard, you know, those white plug board thingies that we've been using with, uh, with the XP controllers and such. Uh so you would uh, you would plug in that thing to the breadboard, you'd plug in your tune controls to the bread to that solderless breadboard, you'd plug in your the wires coming from your soft rock into that and voila. You've got yourself a uh, a receiver. Probably not the, the super duperist uh, Quality kind of thing, but uh, probably good enough to, to use it on your bench for casual listening. And with the appropriate filtering or a selection of filters, or even not, you can probably extend outside the normal ham bands um, that the ensemble comes pre-configured for. You can buy it for 20 meters. Uh, you can for the ensemble you can purchase for three-band uh, operation on. Uh, well, let, let me just say for 80 and 40 and 75. Um or 30, 20, and seventeen meters, and maybe 15, 12, and 10 meters uh, whatever they three uh, three sets of filters there. And uh, but one would think normally that you could extend outside the hand bands, and such is the case, and you could listen to some shortwave radio types of uh, broadcast pretty nicely using uh, using a system like this and uh, learn a little bit in the process too about PSAC. You just download a new program and voila you've got yourself a, either a new demodulator a new, be able to listen to a new mode. One can envision too, pretty simply, that you'd be able to uh, uh, decode uh, um, really appropriate software the decode RTTY or BPSK a la PSK31 and uh, with a terminal hooked up to one of those digital I.O. ports on the left hand side you could actually, um, or or uh, actually just display the characters being received to the LCD. So there's a lot of things that we have in mind. We're going to do, what we think we're going to do, is to uh, experiment a little bit with the PSOC three. Itself. Um, first, we'll explore the chip and its capabilities, maybe doing a, a simple experiment, an out of the box experiment. Uh, again, using the little board that we're going to have available and dirt cheap. Um, if you happen to have uh, or are so inclined to get, there are, I'm looking at a couple here on my bench right now. There's a starter kit, a PSOC 3 first touch starter kit that is available nominally, uh, I don't know, 50 bucks or so. And then there's um, a PSOC 3 development kit. And what these are just more These are development boards with some developer capabilities that if you were developing your own software and capabilities, you would probably use this for convenient... uh debugging, breakpointing, uh, connection to your PC for development purposes and such. You won't need that. Having it would be kind of fun, but you don't need it. All you'll need is this uh, little PSOC chip on a, a small header board and follow some of the schematics we've got here. And you, too, can explore analog and digital components on a uh, on a single chip and the kind of things that you can do. its It's really quite amazing, don't you think, Joe?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, in, the, in the course, uh, some of the examples, I, I can't remember them at the moment, but I was kind of blown away by some of the examples of uh, what people have been able to do with a simple little chip. Um, just absolutely amazing. When you've got uh, digital, uh, microprocessor, and analog stuff all in one little chip, uh, and all, all you have to do is write the uh, software, do a lot of things with one little piece
0: of hardware. Oh, you betcha! And actually, two um, two examples, and I'll try to put this up in the page too. I'm coming up against some vacation time, but I want to get a lot. I want to get the audio posting here, the uh, the, uh, the podcast posted, and some other things to the page updated before that happens. And uh, uh, two references for PSAC that you you could look into if you are so inclined, and I would urge you to because we're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks. Is uh, there was a QST article. I think it was QST. Um, Mike Smith, uh, his call sign is, I have the board here. Uh, I do not have the board here. But his name of his company is Simple Circuits, simplecircuits.com. Look that up, and you'll see a, a design of a uh, what's called a simple SDR receiver, which is kind of a little bit more complex than what we are doing, what we intend to do here with the um, soft rock. But nonetheless, it explains very clearly what, uh, what the story is. And then there's another article. Oh, man. I really forgot where this came from. But it's another PSOC. Uh, Joe, it must have been... Oh, it was a Circuit seller. Circuit Cellar magazine had... If you do a, a search on Circuit Cellar and PSOC, you'll see um, a nice article that took a another... I think it was a PSOC 3, but it uh, had a very low-end application for measuring temperature of some sort. And uh, it was just really illustrative of what you can do with mixed signal technology on a single chip. And it's really cool because you got a matrix. Well, we'll talk about more to later, but you got a matrix. Uh, um, call it the... The columns going up and down and the rows going left and right. And programmatically, under program control, you can connect a given row to a given column, almost like a switch matrix, telecommunication switch matrix, in order to switch in or out various components, which may be digital, which may be analog. And thus, you can configure your own circuit functionality. And uh, in order to get a, uh, you know, achieve the, your, your, your given project. Anyways, this is kind of a fun thing. And if you are so inclined, it would be really interesting, I think, to get yourself, if you don't already have one, is to get yourself a Soft Rock Ensemble RX2, which I think is on the order of $70. Um, or, or and, a SoftRock Lite 2, which is maybe $23. These are kits, and um, if you don't have anything, I'd, I'd suggest maybe getting yourself the SoftRock Lite 2. That's going to be the easiest implementation. It'll take you an hour to put it together. It's really quite simple and uh combine that maybe with another hour or so of connecting the PSOC board that we're in the process of designing. And um, you know, some odds and end parts like we said, the tune control, the L C D and a speaker. And uh you'll be able to play along with us as we explore how to make a simple receiver using a soft rock and a PSOC device. Okay, Joe, um why don't you uh, well, well first of all maybe any questions about the PSOC uh kind of upcoming episode uh, thread. Yes, Serge, I see your light. Go ahead.
2: Thanks, George. Uh, Good evening, everyone. You can hear me okay?
0: Oh, loud and clear.
2: Wonderful. Um, I just uh, had a question for clarification. I I guess uh, you keep saying or you keep referring to the uh, receiver ensemble, but nothing, I mean, clearly I could use the uh, uh, TX-RX ensemble as well. It's for three bands, just use the receiver part of that uh, because I I have one uh, on its way for for whatever reason. I, I ordered one last week.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Um, I was going to, if you were going to be speaking longer, I was going to try to find the software uh, link, uh, the URL. Um, I will do that and I'll put the link on the page. There are some five or six products currently on the uh, um, the Tony Parks. uh, Actually, it's the Dash 5. The Dash Five website, and one of them is the. I believe you're right. It's called the. No, it's called the Softrock RX2 Ensemble, and you can still get that, I believe. But likewise, as you said, you could use the, the RXTX, but just use on a receiver side um, as well. Um, I'm pretty sure about that. Other um, other questions? Alrighty then. Well, um, Joe, why don't you, uh, if you could, just take a few moments and wrap it up and take us home.
1: Alrighty. Yeah, it's been a. Um Um, (laughs) I don't know how to describe it. It's been an interesting night here. We've uh, covered a lot of topics. We're trying to uh, insert some new technology into uh, what we're discussing here. Um, we discussed a, uh, a very interesting uh, board, a board set, an evaluation board, that has a number of uh, sensors on it, the uh, extrinsic evaluation board, which has um, altitude, pressure, magnetic field, and uh, accelerometer sensors on it, um, in a fairly easy to use form, um, for a very inexpensive price, about 25 bucks. It has the capability to uh, do a number of measurements that um, have been very difficult to do or uh, very expensive to do. This puts something in uh, in the realm of something the average hobbyist can actually uh, use, do, and play around with, experiment with to uh, use these sensors for uh, whatever he wants. Um, it comes with uh, some built-in uh, software for demonstration purposes, and you have the ability also to program, uh, write your own programs to uh, extend its capabilities and to play around with. And as uh, as we mentioned, uh, some of the neat things to do it might uh, might have to do with um, sensing uh, uh, vehicle motion, uh, be it an autonomous vehicle or um, uh, a human-controlled vehicle, or uh, perhaps some of the high-altitude uh, balloon experiments that hams are doing. Um, And as a second part of the program, we described a uh, project that's going to be an ongoing project in the future here, which uses another new piece of technology, the uh, PSOC, the Programmable System on a Chip uh, device, which incorporates both uh, digital and analog circuitry uh, under program control in a very small, simple chip to allow you to do uh, lots and lots of neat things. And as the evaluation uh, Um, project here we're going to interface it with uh, some of the uh, soft rock uh, devices to control a receiver to make a very simple uh, DSP receiver on uh, on the workbench and uh, we will have some hardware available as well as uh, all the information we'll be giving in the future so we're trying to extend things here uh, give some new technology ideas to people and um, give you some of the tools and the uh, information to dig into it yourself and to follow along with us to uh, do some out of the, uh, out of the box things with, uh, with homebrewing. And that's it for tonight.
0: All right, Joe, thanks an awful lot for that. And one last call for any kind of comments or questions before we pull the plug here. I need to finish my sandwich for dinner. Okay, everybody, just a reminder that, uh, um, we're going to be skipping a cycle. Stay tuned to the Chat with the Designer homepage and the uh, and the list, and we'll be certainly talking it up as we get closer to the event, and also posting some additional information about the PSOC links and information about the uh, um, that, that we learn along the way, as far as the extrinsic sensors that we talked about tonight. Thank you all. It's been fun. Hope you have a a good uh, a good couple of weeks coming up here, and we'll see you all next time. This is George N2APB and Joe N2C. XA in 73 from chat with the designers.